Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, five wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, and Susan's latest book, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at the Wise Woman University. But you can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, and welcome back, Rebecca. Hi, how are you this evening? Doing great. How about you? Doing good. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's getting hot how out here. Your, like, uh, how was your adventure? In the high Tell 90s. us about it. Um, my son and I went up to Brighton Bush. The last time we were there, he was really interested in the sweat lodge there, and uh-huh. um. So this time we went, and it was a traditional Anipi sweat lodge. And over the phone, the woman had said that, you know, it's not appropriate for kids to be in there because they require that you stay in there for the full three hours. 
But when we got there, um, we were with the woman, uh, Grandmother Penny, who was tending the fire, and she and she said, you know, that's not the case. That you know, you can leave whenever you want to. And so, uh, yeah, we got to hang out with her and like ask her a bunch of questions and just uh, really be immersed in the experience while the fire was being tended. And and then uh, the man that led the sweat lodge, Nopa, he's very traditional and um, was really inclusive and he works with youth and so he was really happy that my son was there, my son Liam was there. And um, And Liam's nine now, ten? He'll be nine in July and um, (laughs) it's so funny, we were like right before the sweat, everyone was going into the lodge, he was like sitting there and like having this moment with himself, kind of like, how did I get myself into this? Like, what's going on? You know, like, and he was talking out loud, but I don't think he realized that he was, but you know, it's like that kind of, but then Nopa came up to him and he's like, so you want to go in? Are you, are you ready? And he just was like, yes, let's do this. You know, like <laughs> no question, you know, but right when he was uh, confronted with it. So, um, yeah, wow, yeah we went in, we didn't, Fabulous. We stayed in for uh, just a little while, though, because it it was really hot in there. And I actually, um, I've been in Sweat Lodge before, and I um, didn't. I sat by the door, and this time I sat by the door too. But I, I get I get claustrophobic, and I have like a little bit of anxiety and stuff. And I think having him there um, caused me to have a little more anxiety than I normally would. So I don't know why, but. <laughs> It's just what happened, and it was, it was an experience, but, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. you've probably heard the story of my being in Boulder and being with Paul Bergner, who's a Sufi master, as well as a herb, wonderful herbalist and writer and dad. And um, so we're, um, you know, city street, Boulder, and we're by a vacant lot. It's usual vacant lot, you know, there's like candy wrappers and empty bottles and condoms and trash laying in the vacant lot. And Paul turns to me and says, white buffalo calf woman has something to say to you. And you think, mm-hmm. like, aren't we supposed to be, like, 14,000 feet up in the Rockies? Aren't we just supposed to be, like, you know, we're not supposed to be, like, with buses whizzing by and sirens and all that. And I, so I kind of looked at him and I said, uh, uh, well, why isn't she getting in touch with me directly? And he said, well, she says you're too busy and she can't get through. And since I meditate for several hours every day, it was easier to get to me. And I just, you know, the horrible truth, <laughs> what it's revealed to you. And he gave me this long poem that she had given him. And the message that I was to tell her story, that I was to tell the story of white buffalo calf woman. And it really made very little sense to me. Like many people of um, my age and my culture, I had thought I had heard the story of white buffalo calf woman. And uh, I turned out that I had not really heard it. Not that I hadn't been listening. Some months later, I was in Holland with um, Grandmother Two Worlds. And there was a sweat lodge there. And grandmother said, well, you know, these gatherings, this peace elders gathering, you know, they, they always have sweat lodges, but they never have a moon lodge. And the moon lodge is the progenitor of the sweat lodge. The moon lodge came first. So we need to have a moon lodge. Mm-hmm. I said, a place where women who are menstruating? She said, no, no, a moon lodge is a place for all women. And it's where we tell women's stories and we learn about women's things. I'm like, oh, okay. 
So indeed, she got them to set aside a space for a moon lodge, a woman's lodge. And there, she told us the story of White Buffalo Calf Woman, which was so amazingly different. And I'm not going to take up our time to tell the whole story. Come to Moon Lodge. You might hear me tell it, because I do sometimes at Moon Lodge. Um, But what has brought me to talk about it is that um, one of the things that white buffalo calf women said to the people is that um, they were in a period of famine and drought because they weren't treating the earth and women respectfully. And white buffalo calf mm-hmm. women said that women in their culture were being told that they had to isolate themselves when they were menstruating. And the, the whole um, round and spiral and circle of women's stories was being disrupted in that way. And that the Moon Lodge needed to be reestablished. And to give the men something to do while the women were in the Moon Lodge, the men were to create the Lodge of the Stone People, which most white people call the Sweat Lodge. And that they Mm -hmm. were to understand that the Lodge of the Stone People was the womb of their mother. And they were to crawl into it on their hands and knees, giving thanks for being born. And, you know, heat is somewhat problematic for women during the reproductive years. During the first two weeks of a pregnancy, um, which is a time when a great many women don't even know they're pregnant, the little developing blastocyte can be severely injured by heat, by the heat of the sweat lodge. And so if Mm -hmm. if you're a fertile woman and you could be pregnant, then it's really not safe to go in the sweat lodge. And once you're past your fertile years, well, I, as I often say to people, have you ever gone out for a run and come home and your dog licks you? That's because your sweat is mineral salts. When you sweat, you're sweating out your bones. And postmenopausal women certainly don't need to sweat out their bones. Mm-hmm. The moon lodge is the place for women. And the sweat lodge was brought by white buffalo calf women for men so that they would learn to respect women and the earth. And I really feel that, too. I mean, I, I love Moon Lodge, and, and I have, I just have respect for the whole thing, and I just really wanted to, you know, nourish that part of my son that was so curious about Absolutely. it. It was, like, more for his, uh, for his curiosity. And, feel uncomfortable in it is what, you know, got me to say that. It's like, yes, I agree. So I, yeah, and he was, like, appreciative that I spoke up, and I like, that was part of the lesson for everybody there was that, you know, using your voice and speaking up when you're uncomfortable and you're having anxiety is like, that's like a part of, you know, the healing and the process of it too. So he was uh, very understanding and um, totally heard me and it was, yeah, it was a, a good experience. So it was good for my son to see too, that, you know, you can, you can speak up anytime. That, yeah. Excuse me. Do you have the tinctures? Do you have the sage? Yeah. Okay. Thank Checking you because you went off without yes. your wallet today, okay? Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Justine's really, like, sick. 
because he was so sick that she went to emergent care, and at emergent care, for $185, they told her to go home, get in bed, and drink hot tea. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, she has all the herbs I have. I took her uh, I took her a quart of my two-year-old sauerkraut. I thought that could be a big help. But uh, wife Heather called up today and said she had some remedies that neither one of us had, and she wanted to get them to Justine and she lives near to where I um, do my voice lessons, so she left them there, and then I brought them home. And now Michael is finishing the last leg of the journey and taking them over to Justine. And I wanted to be sure before he left that he actually had them. Yes, sounds yeah. important. <laughs> Indeed. Mm-hmm. Mm. And we have an I, interesting it, tonight as oh, well. Yeah. We are going to be speaking tonight with Taya Shear the co-founder of the Konet Hebrew Priestess Institute, the co-author of the Hebrew Priestess Ancient and New Paths of Jewish Women's Spiritual Leadership, and she teaches ancestral lineage healing. She's a somatic experiencing practitioner. She is so fascinating, and you are really going to enjoy this conversation. That will be at 9 o'clock my time, or I mean about an hour and a half, for all of us. And I would like to just uh, mention my Etsy store for folks because I'm putting some new stuff and trying some new things in there. And uh, just for people to go and look, it's um, at etsy.com backslash shop backslash nourish wholeness. And um, yeah, I'm just trying out making some different preparations for folks and bigger quantities for some and I'll continue to be posting more as the season keeps progressing here. So, all right, hooray, yay! Yeah, and I got so many your wonderful book in the plans. Mail. Say what? What's that? So many, oh, wonderful, so many wonderful plans. Wonderful. Oh my gosh, it's I'm so busy. It's like, <laughs> how do you <laughs> how do you keep up with all of it? <laughs> It's crazy, but it's awesome. I took my son and his friend out today, and we were checking out the hypericum, and we got to harvest hypericum. It's already blooming out here, so it was exciting to see that. We're just about to uh, collect some rose petals and make rose petal wine. Mm, Rose petal wine, wow. Just follow the recipe for dandelion wine, but substitute rose petals. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And as you know, I have every uh, apprentice make a wine because that's how far back we used to get out the alcohol-soluble compounds from plants. We couldn't just go to the liquor store and buy alcohol, partly because alcohol didn't even exist. Alcohol is like fairly new, like the water of life, aquavita, when we first discovered how to distill. So before that, if we wanted those alcohol-soluble constituents from the plants, we made the plants into beer or wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I find it very important that each apprentice has at least a rudimentary idea of how to make a simple herbal wine because it really is pretty simple. Mm-hmm. And if it didn't get me it, buzzed, I would be all about it, but I do always. <laughs> and the, that's actually one of the last uh, things of alcohol that I did drink was an elderberry champagne that I made, and then I was like, nope, it's still too, it's too much. I can't, I can't do it. So, nope. <laughs> but I, the tinctures are fine. The tinctures are <laughs> totally understood. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, and the yarrow is blooming. Our hypericum is not yet blooming. Mm-hmm. Probably won't for, yeah. for maybe another three weeks or so. The linden is in full bud. We're going to have a great linden harvest this year. Yeah, I just uh, spotted some linden, some big trees right down the street from me, so I'm really excited. To, mm. But they're not quite blooming. <laughs> no, not quite. Not quite. Yeah, and your book is uh, sitting right here next to me, and I've just uh, started to oh, dig it's into not it my a little book. bit. Unprinted galley. Or you're a galley. Yes. And the and galleys. It really wow. is not the book. And I've been telling people that There's this is not the book. It might look like a book. It's not the book. It's the galleys. I just spent mm-hmm. yesterday revising the front matter, and there are some major revisions. Okay. It's really not the book. Not only, not only does it not have an index, not only are there typos, but I, because I have the privilege of changing things, I am continuing to change things. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to see the finished product. I mean, yeah. it's going to be yeah. amazing. I mean, it's, it's such a generous offer. Great to see it so printed and bound. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really, a, really it's great. Incredible. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, of course, I'm deeply upset that Durga's illustrations didn't print in black, but printed in gray. Yeah, that's but not. It gives it. us something to look to me. But so. okay, <laughs> it's a flawed piece, but it's just the <laughs> bound printed galleys, and that's why I always jump in and say it's not the book. Believe me, it's not the book. <laughs> the book will be so much better. In every respect. Yes. And I'm well, glad you're enjoying I look forward it. To... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really am. So, and the International um, Herb Symposium. And there were a lot of people there. We had reading copies out. And people could borrow for 12 hours and read. And those books were getting a lot of circulation, going out and coming back. And people with big piles of smiles and people signing up to pre-buy the book. And Justine and I were... Looking around, we saw that Amazon already had already had abundantly well for sale, and we said, "Well, Amazon's going to sell it. We better sell it, pre-sell it too." And we mm-hmm. figured we had to do better than them, so we're offering half off, fifty dollars off the accompanying video course, which is at the WiseWomanSchool.com. That video course is already made. Justine and I made it this past winter during her February visit up here from Costa Rica, and I. Uh, there are meditations and trances in the book, all of which I read out loud in the video course. We do a little Tai Chi together, a little yoga together. Um, it's a lot of fun, the accompanying video course, and it's available right now. And you pre-order the book, you get half off on it, so you can jump in and start enjoying that. And then I send uh, everybody who pre-orders a personally signed copy of the book. I'm just going to be sitting here for hours, I know, writing people's names, and what a delight that will be to personally endorse books to each of those who are supporting me by pre-buying the book. That's available at wisewomanbookshop.com. You can go and find that pre-order information there. Awesome. Sounds great. Cool. Well, we have a lot of people on the line, and if you have a question for Susan, make sure to press 1 to speak with her. Are you ready for the first question, Susan? I am. All right. The first caller is coming from a private number. Hello, private Hello. number. Hi. Hello. Hello. Hi. 
Hello? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Seems to be some problem. Okay, well, we'll have, if you can call back in and we can try you again, we're, we'll go on to the next caller for now. The next caller is coming from the 347 area code. Hello, 347. What is going on? I'm not sure. Hmm. Let's see. Quite interesting. Yeah. Um, let's try that again. Three, four, seven. Are you there? And we'll just keep going down. In the eight two eight. Are you there? Yes. All right. Okay. Great. Hello, Susan. This is Moretta. Hi, Moretta. Wow. It was great seeing you with your new book. Yes, and it was so great seeing you at the Zoom meeting. Yes, it's so wonderful just to be in your presence, you know, that we can somehow connect like this through the Internet. It's just magical, isn't it? Absolutely magical. So everybody who's everybody who's taking a correspondence course, everybody who's taking an online course, everybody who's taking a video course, you have oh, the opportunity yeah, to meet I with guess. me the first Wednesday of each month via Zoom. And yeah, you were it, there. It was it, great. We had a nice group last, last uh, time we met. Yeah, and just wonderful to, um, you know, be connected like that when you have groups of people like that all over the place, you know, that you can connect at least like this for a moment. It's it's really, really important. Mm-hmm. Really important. So what I want to ask you was, first of all, I want to thank you for all your wisdom about, you know, the bones and the joints, and I have done everything religiously. You know, I've, I've gotten up like this um, book that you recommend by this woman about the bone broth, Who and I read it, and she said she has bone broth for her tea first thing in the morning. I got so inspired by that that I did the same. I'm having it first thing in the morning. I mean, I have old store first, and then an hour later. I'll have the bone broth, but I start my day with the bone broth. So delicious. Isn't that amazing? And then today, this is like I've done this solidly for six weeks, and I've swam an hour, starting with 20 minutes up to an hour, uh, for also for six weeks. And today I'm just down to taking um, poke first thing in the morning. And uh, large doses of echinacea and being painless without that, without. Um, so I talked to somebody, and uh, he's actually an alternative doctor, and he said, what you're doing, I've actually seen completely normalize again, that, that the cartilage will come back by itself because you're swimming, and the the joints, just like Qigong, needs to have that kind of circulation to be nourished. And when it's when it has the circulation to be nourished, the nourishment will actually go into these places and can and he said I've seen it heal totally with what you're doing. So that's uh, an amazing thing because I can see that I'm 
less and less in pain and um it's pretty uh pretty magical, you know, pretty amazing stuff. And um then uh <clears throat> I was, you know, obviously I'm also taking all your you know dandelion and oak straw and you know, the poke and um and um, I'm doing some turmeric too. Uh, today I just felt like the echinacea. You know, I'm taking, you know, large shots of it. You know, my half my weight in drops. I've done it three times and no pain. It's just uh, um, pretty. Uh, I'm very very hopeful for this knee that was up up. You know, really. Uh, almost wheelchair kind of idea. So then in the meanwhile, you know, I've really, um, I mean, it's really shocked me to suddenly be kind of crippled like that, you know, being unable to really walk. When I used to walk for three miles every morning and um, suddenly I can't do that, but I just took to the swim. You know, like in shock, just hoping that you know I could do it like that, and and I've been able to do that. But sometimes I'm almost going to shock over that I can't really get out in my garden, I can't really walk, and all that. And so I had my doctor do you know a blood panel, and he said you are your whole system is in stress, and he said your adrenals are down. So. I was wondering what you think about is good for adrenals, and uh, I have uh, done a stragglers, and I've ordered some Siberian ginseng, and I tried some of that rhodiola, and uh, I was wondering what your advice would be for really uh, low adrenals. There is nothing better for the adrenals than stinging nettle. Well, guess what? I'm doing it every day. Good. No kidding, yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah. So I'm a little unclear as to um, actually why it is that you should have adrenal problems. And um, the doctor is saying this based on what factors in your blood work? Uh, he was doing um, both thyroid and adrenal. And first uh-huh. he said the thyroid was down, and then he said, and he looked up further on, and he said, it's really not your thyroid, it's your it's your adrenals are down. Because if he asked if I was very tired, and I am, you know, pretty tired, although I'm feeling better uh-huh. today. Having uh-huh. a better day today. Got but it. Uh, I do, you know, I do nettle every single day of my life. I figured that you did. Yeah, I do. And I do oat straw every single day of my life. And I also do some astragal. So maybe what you want to do is to change that a little bit. Because, you know, I don't do each herb every day. Okay. When I drink nettle, I drink a quart of nettle over the period of one day. Yeah, okay, that's what I do. And then the next day I drink a quart of oat straw over the period of the day. Okay. So perhaps, I don't know, but just because what you've been doing doesn't seem to be getting you the results that you want, in other words, you're still tired and so on, 
Let's see if changing it and drinking a whole quart of nettle on one day and a whole quart of oat straw on another day will make a difference. Okay. Does that make some sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And and then I was uh, wanting to ask you to, you know, I do astragalus every day because, uh, you know, I live in tick country. And, uh, you know, the advice of Bronner and, and other people, you know, say that if you do astragalus every day, you your immunity system is stronger to try to avoid um, getting... Um, you know, Lyme's disease. Yes, But exactly. then I also, also saw on your uh, website that uh, you have something called Teasel. Teasel, uh-huh, uh-huh, which I only use if the other herbs that help clear it don't work. Uh-huh. Like it's, kind of, it's the last resort. It's a pretty harsh herb. Yeah. It's taken in tiny, yeah. tiny amounts. You know, the other day I was feeling pretty bad, and uh, so I kind of went with, I I got uh, something from Woodland Essence, and it's Tilo. Wonderful. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I took three drops in the Uh morning, three drops in the middle of the day, and three drops in the evening, and my God, I was like really feeling fine after doing that. Okay. And so I was reading up on it, and it says that it really um, makes the body go into working on its own to get rid of whatever it is it wants to get rid of and needs to be gotten rid of. Amazing stuff. Yeah, it is totally like, whoa, no kidding. And a lot of times herbalists, in the United States, think of Teasel for somebody who says, I, my Lyme keeps coming back. And we say uh-huh. that that probably isn't Lyme coming back, but it is some kind of co-infection like Babiosa. And that the yeah. Teasel will work better on that and not necessarily so well directly against Lyme. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that is something. So because, that might be one of something that's happening is that you're actually experiencing some kind of experiencing some kind of co-infection, which is why you're tired and that's not your adrenals or your thyroid at all. I see. Yeah, yep, I could be experiencing something like that. But interestingly enough, after I did that and. Um, and I'm on this, um, you know, I did this three times a day with the, with the echinacea. And uh-huh. I'm feeling um, so much better. Oh, hurrah. I'm always yeah. ready. That is always, um, you know, it's an amazing thing because I tried all the different things for pain. And uh-huh. I thought to myself, it's... it's uh, Great time to really try these herbs, you know, on all of them. And and because when you have the pain, it's not like somebody else is having the pain, and you're trying to help them getting out of their pain. But you really know what kind of what works because yes. you have you're the one with the pain, right? And so it's uh, 
you know, that CB, CBD oil is comes in really handy because you can put it in your purse. You can take it with you. And, and take, a few, take a few drops underneath your tongue. Yep. Or put, some, or put, or put some on your knee. Or put some directly on. Exactly. It works in both ways. Yes. So that's a very... Uh, uh, about it. The other day it was... Uh, you know, you can see how she really swears by it. And... If it can be grown and be affordable, it would great, be great. Because it's not everybody who is in great pain can take to swimming or or do all this, um, you know. Other other things a, you're doing. Uh, well, I'm sorry to say that most of the CBD that was being sold at the, by the vendors at the International Herb Symposium was very expensive. Yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying too. Yes, very, so it's very, very expensive. So it's not really for, you know, people, uh, you know, little means to be able to get it. But maybe it will come down in price over time because now people are really, I think, people are really getting onto it in a big way. Yes. Yeah. Certainly, there's more and more um, validated studies and more information about it. Out there, yeah, so, and just word of mouth, kind of like the way chondroitin and glucosamine took yeah. off. You know, I remember getting on an airplane and sitting down, and the person sitting next to me said, "Do you know about chondroitin and glucosamine?" I'm like, "What? This total stranger is like telling me about these these it takes away joint pain, and it does for some people." Yeah, and, of course, and that was it, that was kind of the, the trick. Uh, it me, doesn't work uh, for everybody, but it does work very well for some people, but not yeah. for everybody. Yeah. yeah, it has worked very, very well for me in the past, but it certainly did not work for me in this incident. This situation. Here. Yeah. Yeah, this was uh, this is more extreme, you know, and it's uh, it's not the whole knee; it's a small um, part part of the inner, you know, right knee where there's a a little bit of, um, you know, it's just it's just bone on bone, yep. and a very small piece, and um, and uh, it feels as if uh, all this collagen from the bone broth has sort of gotten in there and maybe put a little pad in there or something. Well, that's what they say happens, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Well, you know, I'll let you know in the, how this this goes because this is really new that there is no pain in it. You know. And I am I so act, happy that I can actually walk quite a bit today. Uh, one of my grandchildren I had to go with her today, and I walked quite a bit, and it was all right. Well, the chapter yeah. that I was revising today was story medicine, and I was talking about how important. It is when you get a diagnosis, what story you decide that you are going to go with. And this is a really, really good example of that, isn't it? Because you are given a story which is you have bone on bone, there's nothing that can be done. And that's a kind of scary story and there's not much hope in it. And then there were other people who said to you, that's not the only story. That that stuff actually can regrow, and here's how you do it. And you've been yeah. doing those things, and well, golly gee, 
it turned out that that story had some truth in it and that you're experiencing. And, you know, I had a frozen arm, too, so, you know, kind of off and on. Also, back pain. My back pain is gone. My frozen arm is gone. And I just contributed all to, uh, you know, doing this bone broth. Hooray bone broth and hooray swimming. Yeah, and the swimming, yes. It's such wonderful. That you really need those very gentle uh, movement that that is in water to circulate around, circulate your all your joints and all be in between your bones. You know, you need to need it to for the nourishment to get in. Exactly, that the joints themselves don't get nourished unless they're moved. Yes, they have to be moved, and they have to be. Moved in a very gentle way, you know, which is either Qigong or, or water, in water. Mm-hmm. 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 That's why they have, everybody's talking about that. And when you're younger, you always like think, oh, what's Qigong, you know, like, what, what, why would you want to do that? <laughs> if you got to do some exercise, you know, get some, you know, get something. But that is really for people who have trouble with uh, their joints. Right. And need these very gentle movements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, thank you for all your advice, and uh, I'm gonna try that to alternate that uh, the the straw and the nettle. Yes, alternate those. See see how that works. And yeah. don't forget. And don't forget your comfrey. Do you drink comfrey infusion? Comfrey infusion. Yeah. I love not- comfrey infusion for repairing well, how, joints. How often? So I would do nettle one day and oat straw another day and comfrey leaf the third day. How about burdock? I would not necessarily use burdock as an infusion, but perhaps as a tincture. So it could be just a little Uh add-on. I think you're taking the echinacea and the poke because you think you have some kind of infection. Well, uh... Because those are anti infectious If it was yeah, just the, the, it was just joint pain. pain. If it yeah, was just the, joint pain, one of the things, of course, you know, that I also very much like to help people who have joint pain is kava kava. Kava kava. Kava kava, kava kava root. Brewed up as an infusion of full ounce of kava kava root in a quart of boiling water. And allowed to steep overnight, and you can start to sip it the next day, but leave it out at room temperature with the lid slightly loose on it until it actually starts to ferment a little. Traditionally, the kava kava drink was made by women chewing the kava kava root and spitting the kava kava root into a bowl where it fermented during the day. Of course, there's ptyalin in their saliva, which digests some of the starch out of it. But I have seen really good effect in people with chronic and traumatic joint pain from using the fermented kava kava root. Wow. No kidding, yeah. Yes. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much. I don't want to take any more of your time. I heard you have a lot of people waiting there. Okay, Marietta, lots of love to you. Yeah, yeah, so much love to you, too. And have a very sweet evening. Thanks, Thank you so much. Thank you. Mm, Bye-bye. Green blessing. Green blessing.
Let's go back to the private number here. Hello, private number. Are you coming in now? Not yet. Hmm. Okay. Well, we'll go to 845 number. And if you have a question, please press 1. A bunch of callers dropped for some reason. So. Hmm. Press 1 again. I know. So we can see you. Hello. Yes. Hi. Hi. Um, I just want to respond to Marissa's um, CBD uh, conversation. Yes, please. Oh, great. Um, I uh, found a very nice, reputable company that has an assistance program, and you can have their product for 60% off with the assistance program and it's it's a pretty high quality product that is really wonderful let's see what the best way to do this is i don't like to do any kind of advertising for anybody because that opens the door to people saying well how come you didn't advertise my stuff or my stuff or my stuff what i would ask you to do is perhaps uh, if Perhaps if there's a texting option, uh, you could text that information to Rebecca, and it could be posted along with the notes for this evening's talk, so that it would be available for people who looked at it in that way. Would that work for you? If that not, would work. Would that work? All right. I mean, is is there a texting option? I don't know. I've never done anything. Oh, if not, I would say just email Rebecca at HerbsHealing.com. HerbsHealing.com. Okay. All right, I Thanks. will do that, and, and I'm so really much. happy uh, for the Kava Kava re- reference. I'm going to try that. Wonderful. Let me know how it works out for you. Okay, great. Bye. Dream blessings. All right. Tempted to try the <laughs> – let's, let's try this private number one more time, and if it doesn't go through, we'll let it go. The private number here, are you there? Yes. Hello. Hello. Hi. We're so glad we reconnected with you. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Susan. I was I was on. I, I just think there was some trouble with the phone. Um, so I just wanted to say hello, Susan. Hello, Rebecca. I have a question regarding American ginseng, the Panax Kinkifolius. Yes. So my question is, I know I've, I've read up a lot of uh, what you've written, and, it, and it's great uh, for people who feel very depleted in stuff. Um, however, there's two questions I have regarding it. One is the fact that um, in some literature, not yours, but um, you know, some, some places it says that it's got um, estrogenic activity, so it should not be used in... Let me interrupt you for a moment. Every root contains estrogenic activity. Yeah. Every root. That includes carrots, Mm -hmm. beets, parsnips, Mm -hmm. turnips, and every seed, including all nuts, all grains, and all beans. Okay. So if you were to avoid all plants that contained estrogenic factors... Um, then basically you would eat a very unhealthy diet. That's right. You're going to eat far more carrots than you are ginseng. Mm -hmm. 
if if by price alone, right? Yeah. Imagine if you went to the supermarket and carrots were selling for the price of ginseng. Yeah, I, I usually take it in the tinctured form, so it's a bit mm-hmm. more reasonable, but it's still... It's and you're taking ginseng in order to have what benefits from it? Um, just was feeling very low in energy, Susan, so... Um, I would so much rather see you drinking nettle infusion. Yeah, I drink that. I do it on a rotation. I drink all five of them. Wonderful, wonderful. So, you know, if you're supporting yourself with your nourishing herbal infusions mm-hmm. and you're feeling kind of low or like you don't have much energy, certainly mm-hmm. we can use any number of herbs to push ourselves past our normal limits. But is that healthy? No. It's not. So I think that your concern with the estrogenic activity is kind of a little interior warning that's saying maybe you're using too much of this. I only maybe use you're, about two Maybe you're pushing through where you need to rest. Mm-hmm. But I only use two mils of the tincture at most because um, in, your, in your book it says... You hey, know, but on a daily basis, that's a lot. It is. That's a lot. Most situations, you are never to take ginseng for more than six weeks in a row. Okay. Well, I, I've I've started it perhaps three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So, so I you... started it three weeks ago. Yeah. Okay. So it's okay. not something that you can use on a continuous basis perpetually, right? I don't consider it to be an herb that wants to be used that way. Does dandelion grow in your front yard? Yes. Does ginseng grow in your front yard? No. So dandelion is saying, use me, and ginseng, which grows far out in the woods, is saying, don't use me. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And so if everything, you know, really was all right with my diet and I was drinking my nourishing herbal infusions... And I was feeling a little more tired than usual. I would ask myself what I'm doing with my 100 units of energy. I believe that every living thing, we're mostly talking about humans right now, so I'm going to talk about humans, that every human has 100 units of energy. And that in most situations, 50 of those units are being used for internal body process, metabolism, and so on. And that Mm -hmm. 50 of them are available for us to talk to others and do things. Mm -hmm. And that when we get sick... We need more of our 100 internally, and so we have less for dealing with other people. Mm -hmm. And that if we are feeling that way, but that Mm -hmm. can sometimes be an indication that that's what we need, that we need to allow more of our energy to be internal. In other words, what I'm saying, let me see if I can say this a little more clearly. I don't think anybody ever really lacks energy. Mm-hmm. When people say they lack energy, what they, I think they're saying is, I don't have the energy I usually have to put out. Mm-hmm. But that energy is still being used internally. Mm-hmm. And if we force ourselves to take that energy which needs to be used internally and put it out, then we are depriving ourselves. Mm-hmm. Certainly, I understand there are some situations in which we have to do that, either Mm -hmm. because of 
profession or because uh, someone who's totally dependent on us requires it. Mm-hmm. But again, that wouldn't be something we would do every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know you're, you're very intuitive, so you've, you've just about pinned down what's, what's, what's the underlying reason. It's just my mother got um, diagnosed with uh, breast cancer, so it's, it's, been a, it's been a journey. So I'm just trying to sort of, um, you know, back myself up with, 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 with that, and, and I taught Panax. I hope she's cancer. taking some ginseng too. Well, yeah, and that's what I wanted, and that's why it led me to the Sloan Kettering site, and that's what said, oh, it, you know, it proliferates that, and so I was like, huh? But then I know I've got enough um, read-up of your material that, you know, the, the, the plant phytoestrogens are, are not what, what, uh, what medical literature deems them out to be, so I was like, well, I'll, I'll just um, run it by Susan again. And, of course, if you are taking medicinal mushrooms, and mm-hmm. it's one of the things that I think is a wise decision for anybody who has a cancer diagnosis is to immediately start taking medicinal mushrooms. Those medicinal mm-hmm. mushrooms actually block the effects of the estrogens that feed cancers. Well, she has um, actually hers metastasized to the lymph node, and it's actually HER2 positive, so it's, hmm, it's a... Uh, well, that's, so, yeah, I was just, I was just, that's somewhat excellent because we have a lot of information about that and some fair ways to treat that as opposed to the breast cancers that are negative, double negative, triple negative, uh, mm-hmm. where we have just very, very paltry number of options for treating those. Yeah, that's right. You've got her. So her options are, are strong and robust and, and av- available there. And again, no matter what she chooses, Mm-hmm. Right, the medicinal mushrooms will support her through it, and will help to prevent metastatic spread. Yeah, so the medicinal mushrooms, I, I, I'm doing that for her, the infusion and the soups, and the other thing. If is there any other suggestions you could, because the American ginseng was one. Any dosing guidelines, because you know. That you or suggestions that you could perhaps or how much would be good, and can she just take At it this on a point? Has she chosen a course of treatment? Well, she got the tumor surgically removed, and that was about a about six weeks ago. So now she's just kind of wondering if she like if she she's doing the mushrooms, she's doing um, you know the vitamin D, she's doing um, the what else is she doing? She's doing a couple of other things. She's doing um, some mistletoe. Um, In what form is she doing mistletoe? She's just taking a macerat. So she's taking a... Um, uh, taking a what? It's like a, it's like a homeopathic uh, from Europe, uh, Viscomalbum. And she, it's, like a, it's, it's like a tincture, basically, but it's got in, in glycerin and alcohol. Uh, from the Viscan album. Okay, I, I sincerely doubt that that will be of any use. Yeah, that. Yeah. So far as I know, mistletoe therapy, the mistletoe therapy that I know that is effective, must be injected. Yeah, or the Iscador, the fermented type, I think. 
is what which is injected. Yeah, I think that's what it, it's thought. it's both subcutaneously injected, uh, generally daily by the person who's doing it, and then there's a monthly IV infusion of it. Okay. Okay. And it is used very, very widely in Europe, Mm -hmm. and um, it's used mostly as an adjuvant treatment. Mm -hmm. So it's it's in Europe. It is not considered a standalone. Yeah, when I was reading, you're right. That's what it said. It's not a standalone. Not 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 considered to be a standalone treatment. but I, you know, if she can find an anthroposophic doctor, I do believe that if you're going to use mistletoe, that you need to be under the guidance of an MD who knows how to use mistletoe. Yeah, that's right. Because mistletoe grows on different trees. Yeah. And there are actually different forms. It's not just this mistletoe and Iskador and that mistletoe. It's actually made from mistletoe that grows on different trees, depending on who you are and what kind of cancer you've been diagnosed with. Mm-hmm. That's right. So it's a little bit more complicated. But yeah. it sounds, you know, like she realizes that radiation can be very harmful to her. And yeah. that um, basically what, what radiation does is not much of anything, although it's often pushed on women in her situation. And I suspect that they are pushing her to take tamoxifen. Uh, that they haven't decided. They're they're pushing her to take um, chemo and Herceptin. So they're saying to take Herceptin and also um, the Taxotarine, which is the Paclitaxel or Docetaxel, Susan, and also the... Those uh, are chemotherapies. Yeah, so that's what they're pushing. Moxifen is a drug that you can take safely on a daily basis. The yeah, things you're talking about are chemotherapies. In her Those 70s, are a whole I, totally different thing. Mm-hmm. I know, but that's what they're pushing, and they're very adamant about it, and that's why she's kind of like trying to um, just think it through because, you know, it's it's not a pleasant sensation going there and then having the doctor talk very, um, you know, basically very brusque. So uh, it's, it's not... So that's, Well, that's, I, t- I totally agree, and, you know... It, what I really do suggest, and I know it's difficult in a situation like that, is to say, I'm sorry, you cannot be my doctor. I'm yeah, in need of care, and you're not caring for me. And so I hereby fire you as my doctor. I don't want this. If you can't work with me, then I'm going to find someone who can. We should, yeah. never, we should never be beaten by our doctors. That you're hiring the doctor. What if you hired somebody to come and paint your house and they said, I'm not going to paint it the color you want. I'm going to paint it the color I want. Because this study shows that people who live in this color house are happier. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's we would what never I'm... stand for it. Yeah. And yet somehow, if it's a medical professional, we just cave in and let them have their way. Yeah. It, it, once there's a cancer diagnosis, we are over and over again asked to choose between quantity of life and quality of life, and they are unfortunately mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. The medical profession pretty much disregards quality of life mm-hmm. because 
it's not something they can measure. And it doesn't give the, the kind of, I'm going to call it press that they want. In other words, they can say, we are beating breast cancer. We have this percentage of people who survive for five years. You know, if you survive for five years and you die a month later, you're still among the five-year survivors in the statistics. I know. So they are pushing for longevity because it makes their statistics look good. And if it destroys your quality of life, well, gee, you got to live a little longer. Mm-hmm. That might be for some people, the choice they want. I don't care how bad I feel. I'm going to go for the longest possible number of days here. And then for other people, they say, you know what? I would like to enjoy the days I have here. Mm-hmm. And so I don't choose to use chemotherapy. Now, part of it has to do with a kind of odd word and a word that the medical profession has used against people like myself for decades, which is false hope. Mm-hmm. In other words, you should not engage in alternative treatments of cancer because they offer false hope. But the fact of the matter is that the medical profession right now is offering her false hope. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was trying to look for. I was trying to look for alternative treatments for her too and node positive, but there's not a whole lot of stuff, and I just, I'm waiting well, for you. it's not done in that way. <sighs> treatments are just not done in that way because it's a totally different story. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. as though you were looking in a book about plays and trying to figure out how to do an opera. Yeah. It's done in a different way. People who use non-chemotherapy, non-radiation treatments for cancer do not think about the cancer in the same way. Yeah, that I. well, I... I agree. It's just hard when you go for appointments and stuff like that. And I'm I'm sure you you know. I'm and again, my suggestion is to stop going to this doctor. Stop. Mm-hmm. Which Simply is what she told Because I hear um, you over and over again, and I hear the the emotion in your voice that you are having a horrible time. Well, she tried to change like she was off because she was in a public care. I'm well, sorry? She tried to change the doctor, but she was blocked because we are in a public health care system up here in Canada. They said, you already have an oncologist. What are you trying to do here? And simply and stop I, going to the doctor. Yeah. Simply stop going. Yeah. I, and I was livid, and I, I spoke up, and I wasn't liked, you know, because... But I've had this issue since I was, like, very young, like nine years old. The doctor said something to me, and he said to my mother at that time, he said, Listen up, America. think you want socialized medicine. You don't. We don't want socialized medicine. If I could go on a PA and say that, I don't want socialized medicine because it's not medicine. It's something being rammed down your throat. Uh, anyways, I, 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 I... Yeah, as soon as it becomes that, you lose your choice. Yeah. And the only choice you have is a bad choice, which is to not go. Mm-hmm. That's right, exactly. And that's what I do. I don't go to the doctors. Right. <laughs> On so, the other I'm... hand, once she stops going to that doctor, 
she might be more open to going to somebody who does acupuncture or some other modality altogether. Yeah. A different story, just like Moretta's story. Moretta mm-hmm. has terrible joint pain. She went to a regular MD. They said, oh, you have bone on bone. There's nothing for it. We have to replace your knee. And she wasn't mm-hmm. willing to settle for that. And she looked around and found people who said, you can replace that. You can regrow that cartilage. Here's how you do it. Yeah. So, you know, again, I accuse the medical establishment of holding, holding out false hope. Oh, well, just replace your knee. Like, that's going to make you pain-free? Mm-hmm. I know. They're, they're just... They just want to look for a quick fix, and 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 really, it's just not even. It's, I won't. They even want call it. it. It's people that they deal with want it. Yeah, that's that's. Have yeah, the medicine we have chosen, and if we don't want it, we must be the ones who choose something different and not. Yeah, that's. Up. I mean, that's that's it, right? You have to take the empowerment, and and that takes that takes courage and and tenacity and hard work. It certainly does. Yeah. It does, and and it's, you know you you are being healthy to, does take courage and hard work. It's absolutely true, and it's an investment in yourself, right? And and we choose to invest in a lot of other things. Why not invest in ourselves? I mean, you're a living testament to that, right? I've I we love you for that. We look up to you for that. I I can only say it. Not enough. So. Well, Thank you. I am hoping very much, and especially with the work in Abundantly Well, to give more and more people that courage. And every time I interface with an MD, I say, you might think I'm an isolated thing, but I am the forerunner, and there's a huge wave of empowered people following me. Well, you have given us that choice to be empowered, so I really thank you for that, because without you, I think a lot of women would not be able to resonate with with a woman's, you know, because as much as there's male herbalists out there, and, you know, I, I, I love them all, and, you know, great for everybody, but we need our own representative out there. We really do. And you are the And great the- honor to Dr. Susan Love with her pioneering work for women in the field of breast cancer, and, of course, great gratitude to Dr. Christian Northrup and her yes. wonderful wonderful work for women. I certainly I am not alone. I could question. never I'm just done it leading up what had told yeah, me. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, strong voices for all of us and and it's in our hands. We're the ones who have to say, um, maybe I'll do that chemotherapy but I'm not going to do it now. And that I find is the best thing to say that the threatening doctor is maybe I'll do it but not right now. You know, he yelled at her and he said, did I not give you the monograph? And I was livid. I was like, you are, hmm. I, anyways, I, if I go in that direction, then I get myself worked up more. So, and that's where that, um, can I just ask one quick question, Susan? I won't take the, it's just a follow-up to what you had rec- told me before. Yeah. Um, I have headaches and, you know, they can be pretty severe. Um, you had said I need a cooling um, liver herb. Uh, border, like chicory or burdock. So I've been doing chicory and burdock infusions. I just ha- heard you say to the other lady um, that infusions may not be the best route. I can handle the chicory. It doesn't bother me. It's bitter, uh, but it doesn't bother me. I do I do the chicory and the burdock, and it has helped. So is there a reason why? There, no, there, that's absolutely fine. Yeah? She and I were talking about something else. 
Okay, so I can talk about can her joint that. pain. Okay, yeah, I know you were talking about. I just thought that perhaps because um, a lot of in a lot of your writings also you have said about uh, burdock uh, tincture, so I just mm-hmm. wanted to run that by you. But it's perfectly fine, right? It's perfectly fine. It makes a lovely infusion. Yeah, it does. It's just that you have to use two ounces because it's the root. Am I doing it right? You can use one ounce or two ounces, whichever you want. Whichever works for you is just fine. Thank you ever so much. And any dose recommendations for my mom for the American ginseng? Because I only know of the 10 to 20 drops Well, with meals. And my sense is that American ginseng is mm-hmm. an adjuvant plant. You use it if you're doing radiation therapy. You use it if you're doing chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. It is. That you don't Same just take stra- not a cancer plant. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it, there's no need to go there unless if she was going the other the chemo route. Unless she was going, unless she decided she was going to do chemotherapy or chemo radiation or radiation, or you know any of the above, then ginseng becomes a real ally to protect you against those things. Yes. Okay. But in and of itself, I don't think of it as an anti-cancer herb. Now, Justine. Uh, day before yesterday, sent me an article. We were talking earlier about her having a, a really bad cough, and that she had been looking up herbs that could help. And she came across a really interesting uh, study uh, showing that ginseng quelled inflammation in the bronchia. Mm-hmm. So she started taking some ginseng to see if that could help her deal with her cough. But you've always said to us to take Ellie Campaign, right? I don't. Yeah, you you said if it's don't a really link good... herbs to problems. Oh, okay. I do my best to try to link herbs to people. Mm-hmm. It's not like a drug, and you study what effect this drug has, and you give it for that effect to anybody. Herbs are mm-hmm. individuated, and the wise woman tradition is about individual well-being. Yeah. So that was my hesitation. Certainly there are situations in which I have used Campaign, but I also use mullein, the wide variety of herbs that I might use depending on the person, what's going on, what kind of cough it is, and, and so on. I want to look at that individual and what would work best with them yeah. rather than to find an herb and try to stick it on a person. You never do that. You always give us a wide range of, of what to follow in, yeah. in situations. Yes, you always do that. So I do stand corrected. Sorry I didn't mean to correct you. Just to, no. You, you asked me specifically if I said that, and so I answered. Thank you, Susan. I, I really... You are quite welcome. Thank you. And what's your mom's name? Her name is Nera. Mira. We are all thinking about Mira on her journey as she's dancing with cancer. Thank you. Thank you ever Green. so much and blessings Green to you. Thank you so much. God bless. The next caller is coming from the 718 area code. Hi, Susan. Good evening. Hi. I, my question tonight is about my scalp. So when I brush my hair, my hair kind of falls out easily. And my scalp is dry 
embarrassed to say this, but I scratch and then it becomes like wounds um, on my scalp. And I've tried a couple of things and I really need your help and suggestions what else I could do. I've well, tell me what you've tried. Tell me what you've tried that hasn't worked. I've tried coconut oil. Um, uh-huh. And so you use coconut oil by like applying the coconut oil all over your hair and scalp and leaving it on for a while and then washing it. Yeah. Out. Yeah. Okay. And, and what I was the result it. of that? Was there any short-term result? Yes, very short-term. So for just that day, there was no itching, but then it comes right back. Um, uh, have you tried plantain in any way? Plantain in my scalp? No, I did not. Okay. I really like the effects of plantain in terms of its ability to quell itching. We we are really in our infancy in understanding pain, and we're even practically in utero in understanding itching. Some people feel very compelled to itch. Others can easily control their urge to itch. Some situations, um, we want to itch more than other situations. For some people, once they start itching, they find it almost impossible to stop itching. Mm-hmm. Um, so m- m- first stop, I think, let's see if th- the itch that they are experiencing can be moderated by plantain because it has such a broad effectiveness um, okay. and helpfulness for people who are experiencing itching. And you could use plantain oil, your own homemade plantain oil, in the same way. Well, it smells as good as coconut oil. Plantain oil kind of smells like, you know... Um, aged cheese and, and uh, delicatessen meats. Mm-hmm. So it has a pretty pretty strong smell to it. But um, you're going to wash it off afterwards, so you're not going to have to worry about your hair smelling like salami. Okay. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. um, I always, when anybody has any dryness on their skin or their scalp, want mm-hmm. to make sure that they're eating adequate fat in their diet. I am. Um, I follow your like. You okay, know, your way wonderful. Yeah. So you're not on a raw food diet or a vegan no. diet or in any way limiting unnecessarily the fat in your diet. Mm-hmm. Good. And, and what like I don't know if it means anything like that my hair falls out easily like if I just. Well, how you know, how old are you? Thirty-five. Mm-hmm. Um, often when the hair is falling out, it's because there's a lack of protein. Okay. The hair is very sensitive to not having enough protein in the diet, which is one of the reasons I was talking to you about your diet. The Mm -hmm. other thing that can be going on is um, that, of course, hormone levels affect the hair Mm -hmm. and the hair follicles. Men who have um, good amounts of testosterone, uh, testosterone interferes with hair growth. And so the balder the man is, and the sooner he is bald, the higher his level of testosterone. Mm, okay. It, and, of course, women make testosterone as well. And especially as we age, we do tend to make more, and it can have an influence on the hair. Mm. Is your dad bald? Um, he's, no, he's not bald. Okay. Thinning hair? Thick hair. Yeah, he he does have thinning hair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And would you characterize your menses as being extremely regular, kind of regular, or irregular? No, irregular. I I have issues with that. So I would say that, that the most likely thing then would be hormones. Okay. And changing the hormones in a person's body usually creates worse effects than the effects we're trying to get rid of by using hormones. Mm-hmm. So what you might do is to see if you can eat more fermented foods to increase your body's ability to utilize hormonal factors from the food you're eating. Okay. Because we know that there's a big difference if we feed 100 women uh, one serving of beans, um, there's a lot of difference in how much hormones their bodies are able to make from that same serving of beans. Those who actually make the most hormones from the serving of beans have the lowest rates of cancer, and those who make the least have the highest rates of cancer. Mm-hmm. So that's one possibility, is to get more whole grains, more beans, more roots, into your diet, those hormonal factor sources, and to up the amount of fermented foods in your diet. At the same time, doing your best to avoid food preservatives and any food that you eat, and doing your best to avoid essential oils. Okay. Thank you. That really sounds good. uh, Of course, many people who think they're avoiding essential oils are brushing their teeth with the toothpaste with essential oil and rinsing their mouth with essential oils and using a shampoo and a body wash and a body lotion and so on, all of which have essential oils in them. So take a really good look, especially in your bathroom. So if it says peppermint oil, that's an essential oil. It won't necessarily say essential oil. Mm, Okay. And in soaps, it would say essential oil, or if I see any of those, like, peppermint or lavender, then it's probably essential oil. It is only essential oil. Essential, okay. Okay, so I have to look up If it says thing. lavender oil, that's an essential oil of lavender. Okay. Right. Unless it says infused lavender oil. So mm-hmm. if, it's inf- if it's not essential oil, it will say infused. If it just says lavender oil, it is the essential oil. Okay. Okay. So okay. those are... Some things, and um, in Russia, mm-hmm. the best-selling hair tonic is an oil made from burdock seeds. That's the wrong time of the year to get burdock seeds. Mm. If you are still having problems this fall when the burdock is seeding, and I hope that you do not, then you with some young friends can take a paper bag and harvest some burdock burrs, stomp them until the seeds fall out. Mm-hmm. And you can do all that outside, stomp, make, you know, roll over the top of the bag and stomp it. But along with the seeds are little fiberglass-like hairs. You don't want to mess with those outside because if the wind blows them around and blows them into your eyes, your clothing, you're, you're really going to be itching. So once you've harvested the burdock burrs and stomped them, take that bag inside and in a draft-free place. Pour it out. Many people pour it into water because the seeds will fall to the bottom and the little hairs will float. Then you can just pour the water off uh, and quickly dry the seeds. They shouldn't be that wet. Mm-hmm. And let them air dry overnight and then infuse them in oil. Some people oh, actually wow. even put blender and blend them up with the oil they're going to infuse them in. And it's said to be quite amazing to restore 
a healthy um, hair and scalp. Okay, thank you. Sounds great. All those uh, options, I'm going to try them, and I'll keep you posted how I sort it out. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Green blessings. Night. The next caller is coming from the 347 area code. Hello. Hi. Hi, Susan. Wow. Um, I'm calling because I have a situation. My husband, he has a skin issue on his scalp. He has one, I'm not sure it's called a boil or a carbon cull. It's just like a cyst, size of a quarter. And he has it for a while, like almost five years. And recently I started to feel like it has some odor. And um, I told him that we need to do something about it. So I'm not sure his, our primary doctor recommended that he get it surgically removed. So I'm a little concerned if that's the right way to go. Usually a boil or a carbuncle is hot and red and hurts and is filled with pus. It does have a little pimple that's a color of yellow on, mm-hmm. in the center of it, and it is red. There you go. And heat applied in the form of a hot herbal compress um, or hot herb leaves applied to that can often bring it to a head and cause it to break which is what we want. We want it to break open and drain. Uh-huh. Okay. So um, I should apply hot uh, compress, like like a nettle compress would be good? Whatever you have that's available, I would first think of something like comfrey or plantain, but um, even a hot cabbage leaf can do it. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Okay. Um and so what happens, like, once it starts, let's just say it starts draining, does it still have to be, like, the cyst inside still has to be removed, or once it empties out, it's going to heal? Generally, once you have brought it to a head and it has expressed whatever is in there, then it heals up and you don't have to do surgery. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And if it doesn't, then we should go with the surgery? It's like a little clinic in office. It's nothing, you know. I guess it's not under general anesthesia or anything, but is it safe to have it cut by a surgeon? Surgery is never safe. Uh Mm -hmm. It's a contradiction in terms. It cannot be a safe surgery. Right. Mm -hmm. Remember Joan Rivers and Joan Rivers died having a safe in-office surgery done? Oh, well. If it's a cyst, mm-hmm. um, the vast majority of doctors that I know would never surgically remove a cyst because what they say is it will grow right back. Mm-hmm. If it's mm-hmm. actually a boil or a carbuncle, they might cut it to allow it to drain, but there isn't anything to remove. Mm-hmm. 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 I see. I understand. Okay. We'll see what to do with it. We'll take it from here, and I'll keep you posted. And I just had one more quick question. What do you think about olive leaf? Is this a safe herb to take on a daily basis, like to prevent any, you know, infection in the body? So you have an olive tree. 
and you no, have olive leaves, and you want to make a tea of them. No, I wish I had that. I don't have olive tree. I live in New York. You mean you're talking about a product that you're going to buy? Yeah, in a capsule. I know. failed Consumerism 101. Mm-hmm. I don't use anything that I have to buy in general. I mean, I buy Arnica ointment, but that's really about it. Right, but I don't have an option. I would love to, you know... I would love what, to have my own excuse me, what do you mean you don't have an option? You What's do that? have an option. What we do to prevent infection is we eat a healthy diet. Uh-huh. Right. And eating a healthy diet costs far less than buying supplements to yeah. make up for an unhealthy diet. But that's what most people choose is an unhealthy diet, and then they spend twice the money that they would spend on a good diet buying supplements to make up for the fact that they're not eating well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if I felt that I wanted to improve my immune system, I would eat more sauerkraut. I would eat more yogurt. I would go for a longer walk. I would go for more frequent walks. Mm -hmm. There's enough improves the functioning of the immune system, like increased exercise. Within, you know, within reason, reason, we know that Olympic athletes have very poorly functioning immune system because they push their exercise so hard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's right. For most of us, getting a little more physical will improve the activity of our immune system, as mm-hmm. well as eating a really healthy diet and avoiding all supplements. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to ask one more thing. Um, Susan, I see you always recommend yogurt and um like a fermented dairy, but for some reason, when I try to drink, let's say, kefir or even yogurt. Kefir is so totally different than yogurt. Uh-huh. I don't know. When I drink that. So you, or you don't drink yogurt. Right. No, it's not a like, drink. You get right. When we're eating yogurt, we're getting plain yogurt. My preference is Dannon plain, full-fat yogurt. Mm-hmm. And I suggest that people start out with just a little bit of it. Mm -hmm. like, you know, between a couple of tablespoons to a quarter of a cup and increase day by day. Right, right. Right? There's, you know, there's no lactose. There should be no lactose left in the yogurt. And we know that the probiotic factors um, are more easily established in the body when they come in from more solid foods, so sauerkraut and yogurt, far, far better than kombucha and kefir. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kefir usually is, you know, I, I rarely see plain kefir. Um, I am able to buy. Um, I think it's called Maple Hill, where I live. They sell Maple Hill, but uh, for some reason lately, when I drink it, I just don't feel well. It gives me a headache, and I don't know why. It makes give well, me a- I again, you know, my my. My personal sense is that kefir is a low-quality choice Uh for gut health. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you're making your own kefir and you have your own milk and that's what you'd like, I'm certainly not against it. But if you're Mm going to go out and purchase something, I'd much rather see you buying yogurt. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Susan. You are welcome, Green Blessings. Hey, Rebecca, how many people are we going to try to fit in these the eight minutes we have remaining? 
Um, it, it looks like we don't have anybody waiting with oh, oh my a question gosh. right now. If you have a question, question, please press 1, and uh, we can take your question. But that just reminded me about the, the kefir. Um, I was making it from my friend's a culture my friend gave me after I went and visited her, and I noticed that it really made my scalp act up, like um, like my dandruff come back, and like it became really yeasty after I was drinking it. And I and she doesn't eat any sugar in her diet, and so I don't think it bothers her as much. But I think because you know I have like sugar and stuff like that, that it's not a good option for me. The yogurt does not do that, however. But I really noticed that was the only thing I had changed. And then after I took it out, the the dandruff went away again. So they're they're different cultures. In in Secret Healing Beer, Stephen Booner talks about how when um, uh, two people were getting married, that the traditional gifts were the cultures of their culture. The yeast for making the beer, the yeast for making the wine, the yeast for making the bread. Now, you can use, you know, they're all saccharomyces. You can use the same yeast for all three things, and I have. But in a culture, there are specific yeasts and ferments for each one of these things, and the the biotype, the actual physical presence of the people in that culture, um, is, is synchronized to those particular organisms and cultures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I believe that, and I think that my my gut and everything loves the the yogurt, so <laughs> I'm gonna stick with that. But we did have actually two people just queue up, but we'll just be able to take the one person that queued up first here in okay. the 512 area code. Hello. Hi. What's up tonight? Oh, hi, Susan. It's lovely to hear your voice. Thank you so much for having time for me. You're welcome. It, thank you, Susan. Um no, I'm I'm drinking, Susan. I've been following you 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 for a good couple of of, of years, and I've, I'm drinking herbal infusions every day, changing five uh, uh, the infusions every day. Wonderful. And now the last couple, uh, thank you. The, the last couple of um, I would say three weeks or four weeks, I've been I I, I also go to Chinese medicine doctor and I. I was taking his prescription for some anxiety that I was experiencing. And I, I stopped and I developed diarrhea. Uh, I, I don't know whether you should call it diarrhea because it, I, it was only very watery in the morning and then I could be fine the whole day. No problem. And this uh, is while you're taking the Chinese formula? Not, I'm not sure if it's connected to it, but it's, I stopped taking it almost um, a week a week now, and I still today notice that I still, ha- um, you know, have, um, it's kind of watery. You were taking this formula for a specific reason? Yes. Uh, well, it, just to um, strengthen my, as, as he said, heart blood and to relieve, to sleep better and to relieve, relieve my anxiety. And did it work? Yeah. It did work. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it helps my sleep for sure. Wonderful. 
Wonderful. Mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear that. There are several things that can help to slow down that overactive watery um, feces. And underripe banana is an excellent one, as is apple, especially a couple of apples quartered and cooked into applesauce with their peels. Mm-hmm. The peel is loaded with pectin, and that pectin acts as a binding agent in the intestines. And the green banana, of course, is a very strong carbohydrate in the form of starch, which also tends to slow down overactivity in the gut. Mm-hmm. So, I'm sorry, Susan, did you say overripe banana? Underripe, green banana. Underripe, sorry. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Right. The less ripe, the better. Mm-hmm. Within, within what you can tolerate, you know, really green banana is intolerable. You've got to let it get yes. a little bit of color so you can actually eat it. Yes. Um, I went to a doctor and uh, she thought, um, it took a couple of tests and I'm just looking at them right now. And uh, then she, she suggested I take an x-ray. Uh, a d- digital x-ray of my, uh, since I, I'm reluctant to take colonoscopy. Um, so you know, this, um, this is one of the major dangers of modern medicine, is mm-hmm. a, that x-ray is not going to work without a barium dye. Right, but anyway, she took um, and a that barium dye could and, give you diarrhea for the rest mm-hmm. of your life. Okay, okay. Now, Susan, I was I was so no, upset afterwards no that I... There's no lunch when we're using high-tech diagnostics. And uh, to my mind, high-tech di- diagnostics are way overused. You're not talking about having watery diarrhea all day long for three months here. No, 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 just in the morning. And then I can function. I can go to work. I can exercise, I, go for a walk. Personally, no and problem. my take on it is you take something like that to a doctor, you're asking that doctor to maim you. You're asking that doctor mm-hmm. to hurt you. Yeah. Because their tools of diagnosis are so crude. Mm-hmm. Because they're high-tech and really harmful. It's not just a little x-ray. It's hard radiation. And the gut is soft. You can't see in there. So you have to give barium. You have to give radioactive contrast dye in order to see in there. And well, she thank has, goodness I didn't, like, well, I just, didn't drink. Just take mm-hmm. out our iPhone and take a picture that. of you. That's not what it is. Uh-huh. Uh, I just, she just, I just took an, 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 unfortunately I agreed to an x-ray, but I did not take any barium. But I came home and I was very upset that I did that. And um, my second question is, what can I do? It, it is a digital. It was just a digital. Uh, she, said it, she said it was very little. Digital is how it's looked at. It's the same radiation. Mm-hmm. You look at it on a, a film or you look at it on a computer screen. That's the only difference of digital, but it's the, the radiation hasn't changed. It's still an mm-hmm. X. Right. What can I do to... to um, Things that you can do, and there's two pages in my new book, and one of the very first things that you can do, strangely enough, and the thing the U.S. Army depends on to clear radiation is soy beverage. Half a cup of soy beverage several times a day is one of the few things that can be used afterwards 
Almost everything else needs to be taken beforehand. Uh-huh. Whenever, I believe, any doctor suggests a high-tech test like a CAT scan or an X-ray, our answer should be, I need to think about it. We should never agree to those things until we've taken exactly. it. Exactly. Think about it. Mm-hmm. Just for all yeah. of us. Very easy to be threatened and coerced by MDs. And I don't know if they're actually taught to do it or if they kind of develop it as a style. But we certainly heard a lot about it tonight, and I certainly have seen in the people that I um, advocate for an awful lot of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At any rate, I'm going to say green blessings to you, and I'm going to introduce our guest. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, you so much. And our guest is Taya Share. Taya Share, Taya Ma, is the co-founder of the Kohanet Hebrew Priestess Institute. She's the co-author of the Hebrew Priestess Ancient and New Paths of Jewish Women's Spiritual Leadership. She is on the faculty at Star King School for the Ministry and Chaplaincy Institute where she trains emergent clergy across faith traditions. Taya Ma also teaches ancestral lineage healing. She offers individual sessions virtually and in-person workshops across the country. Taya is also a somatic experiencing practitioner and offers online courses in embodied presence, pleasure as prayer, conscious menstruation, and ancestral healing. Her Hebrew goddess chant albums, This Bliss, Wild Earth, Shebrew, Hallelujah All Night, and Torah Tantrika have been heralded as cutting-edge mystic medicine music. Tayama makes home music, and other magic in Berkeley, California, unoccupied Olone lands. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It is such a great pleasure to be here with you. I know that you would like to begin this evening with a prayer. I would love to. Shekhinah, pulsing presence, you who dwell within and abound all around, you who weave worlds and bless of this particular magic, thank you for the miracle of these bodies, this breath, this aliveness and this opportunity to come together in this way. First peoples of the place where we each are, you whose bodies are this land and this home is where we make our homes. Thank you more than human worlds. It is such a gift to be your kin. Bright and benevolent ancestors, my own and the bright, and benevolent ancestors of we who gather and all who are listening, you who are a source of love, guidance, blessing, connection, goodness, and healing, thank you for leaning into our lives and to our time together during this show. Let it be clear, potent, and for optimal good. May it be so. I am so heartened and happy to be here with you, Susan. May it be so with harm to none. Well, you do a huge amount of different and wonderful things things, your school ordains feminist, earth-based Jewish clergy. Uh, it's hard to even believe that those words can exist in a sentence, let alone in real life. You know, they not only exist, but we are part of a movement that is thriving. 
13 years ago, my co-creatrix and I came together to weave this particular magic. And at Kohenet Hebrew Priestess Institute, as you said, we are focused on reclaiming and innovating embodied earth-based models of Jewish feminist spiritual leadership, particularly in celebration to the goddess. And it's such a blessing to be amidst this work. We are a three-year clergy training and ordination program and also a sisterhood, siblinghood, and a movement changing the face of Judaism, really integrating feminized Jewish prayer and embodied ways of leading as a different way than most mainstream Jews have encountered as possible in terms of what clergy can look like. And I feel so blessed to be alive in a place and a time where this work is not only possible, but folks are really hungry for it, needing it, wanting it, ready for it. For those not in the know, there are Orthodox Jewish men who arise each morning and their prayer is, thank goodness I'm not a woman. It for those is, who for those who do not know, it is still um, an absolute thing in Orthodox Jewish communities that men and women are not allowed to wash up in view of each other. The women are relegated to a, a corner, as it were, or an upstairs or someplace uh, where they won't interfere. Um, and I just saw Grace Paley's wonderful animated movie. And it reminded me once again that the whole basis of Judaism is the destruction of the goddess. The basis of Judaism is the destruction of the goddess. I hear that, and I also am so heartened that there are many of us who really see the ways that she lives on in tradition. She's been obscured in a lot of the text and a lot of the practice, but the clues are there in our work, in our community, we work particularly with 13 votes, 13 pathways of priestessing that are based on archetypes of ways women were leading in Jewish tradition in ancient times in the ancient Near East. And more recently, we see these examples of how women were leading lifted up in text and also named in text and demonized and denigrated. And what we're excited about is looking at what, what were women doing in ancient times, whether folks were appreciating them, as was the case for midwives and mothers and the occasional prophetess, or demonizing them, as was true for the women who were witches and weaving between the worlds and communicating with the dead and or women who were mourning women on behalf of the community, they were in a more middle ground place. But we have these traces of stories of how women were leading, and we dive deep into remembering, reclaiming them, and really being curious about how those practices are relevant and true for us now, and how we can weave those ways of our ancestors into our lives, be informed by them, and also evolve them into pathways, practices, and possibilities today. And in terms of the strand you named about the um, thank you for not making me a woman prayer, there are those who arise and say that, and there are plenty of us who arise and give thanks to be made women or whatever bodies we do have. For me, that prayer, that flip script on that prayer the the thank you for creating me as a woman is a prayer that I say to begin my menstruation every month. When my blood drops, those are the first words out of my mouth. And so we work to reclaim 
the prayers that need it and to unearth deeper layers of the prayers that actually have nuance, but maybe that nuance has been obscured. That is so beautiful. And we know without any doubt at all that one of the things that those ancestors were doing was singing and dancing. And you are certainly very active in bringing back the singing and chanting. Tell us more about that. You have, what, four albums you've done? I do. It's so true. We hear, even in Torah, even in the ancient story of the Exodus story, as the Hebrew people were crossing the sea from the constricted place into freedom, it's said that Miriam takes out her timbrel and leads all of the women in dance as Moses leads the people in song. And that was not my inspiration to sing and dance and drum, but it's something I love to draw on to know that my four mamas were doing that. And yes, I have four albums out, a fifth on the way next month. And these chants are ones that are the prayers that are ripe for me. When I first returned to Judaism as an adult, I was raised inside of a Jewish context and then went far and wide disillusioned by the patriarchy and the hierarchy and the disconnection from body and earth. And when I returned and found that actually what I love what I hold sacred, body, earth, the moon, is actually present in Judaism, if you know where to look. I started returning to Jewish context to pray, and I was happy to be in a place that was using the language of my ancestors, and I was also so bored by and so put off by most of what I found in terms of the liturgy and the prayer flow that I needed to create ways to pray that were more resonant for me. And I leaned into the heartbeat of the mother. I leaned into the rhythms that had moved me in earth-based spiritual context and and the the chants that I weave on these albums are feminized Hebrew and so instead of praying in the masculine words it's the the essence of the prayers but with the Hebrew with the gender changed both for divinity and for the people praying um, and we chant in a way on these albums me and my crew um, in a way that really invites undulation and ululation and celebration that that drops us deep and lets us soar and yeah the chanting the music is a lot of fun for me sound is such potent medicine and I love to weave in circle and in dance together and the albums are like that they're like a drop into a Hebrew priestess prayer offering where you kind of feel like you're praying in community and and both remembering an ancient and visioning a future time and anyone who's listening who would like to connect with any of those for a fifth one coming out, um, CDs, uh, expressions of chance, what would be the best way for them to do that? Should they get in touch with you directly? Is there, uh, They can find all the music on my website, taya.ma. So that's www.taya.ma, M-A. And all the music is there to listen to for free as many times as you want. That's so generous of you. Thank you. Gracious. And then we find what we like. We get to bring it home and listen to it even more. I have often teased because I have a a song that I call Goddess Gospel that that we need a new genre called Goddess Gospel. So it looks like you and I are working. Yes, (laughs) please. And um, how does this all tie into ancestral healing? Ancestral healing seems to be a little more general than the the work that you're doing reclaiming Jewish women's spirituality? I love this question. So I come to the work of ancestral healing, yes, with a deep call to heal 
my particular roots in my in my blood and family and spiritual lines. And also, I come with a really strong attention to trauma healing. My life has held a lot of trauma. And when I was in my mid-20s, I fell in love with the practice of somatic experiencing. It totally transformed my nervous system. And that practice is one that invites us to root in positive resource as a way of healing, which is so aligned with what I understand, Susan, about your work. And, and we understand that trauma doesn't heal by focusing on, on the places of fragment, but by, rather by building what is already well in the system, in the body, in the energy body, and in the community. And that was how I worked in the world on this plane, and yet I still was trying to heal the trauma in my lines, the intergenerational trauma that I felt like I was playing out, the, particularly the, plain, the pains of my grandmothers. And I, I couldn't quite make the impact that I wanted with that healing. And then I came across the model that some call or that's known as ancestral medicine or ancestral lineage healing. And what, what was immediately resonant for me about this way of working is it also invites us to root in positive resource in our blood and family lineages. And so rather than us being the one wrestling with generations perhaps of recent dead where there is trauma or fragment or distress that might indeed be impacting or at play in our bodies and our lives in our family systems today, rather than us trying to wrestle with that, we set a boundary with the spots of trouble on our lineages that might be impacting us or our families, holding a boundary there. And instead, we stretch our awareness further back, as far back as we need to, to welcome connection with bright, benevolent, shining ancestral guides. And it's our understanding, those of us who do this work, that if you extend far back enough, that there is brightness and benevolence on the line somewhere, perhaps at a time when folks were in greater harmony and ease and depth of connection with the natural world. And, and for many of us, the disconnection from ancestor reverence practices that happened at the same time we've been separated with from land and body, that, that can, the, the, those, those things that have kept us from the land are also what's kept us from being in direct relationship with our people, which from where I sit are, who from where I sit are totally available as a resource and as a source of connection. So in this way of working, we hold a boundary with the troubled dead and we welcome connection with bright and benevolent ancestral guides and we build connection with them. We cultivate relationships and ask for blessing and, and get to know them as we would any ally or support. We build relationships and when, when we've built that relationship and tended it, we come to a place eventually where we ask them to be the ones who bring healing down the line. So we ask them, the ones from way before, to bring healing generation by generation or segment of generations by segment of generations, to bring healing down through the line, to heal those ones, to welcome them into the well ancestor body, and then to bring blessing down through the full line to the living. And this is work that I have found so deeply impactful in my own life and in the life of my students and clients. And when we do workshops, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing to feel what happens in our bodies, in our community systems, when we're not actively playing out the trauma in our lines, and in fact, where we're actually embodying the blessings and unique gifts and possibilities in our lines. And in my communities, as more and more of us have done this work, it's been just so sweet to experience what's possible when we, each as the living face of our lineages, are embodying greater wellness. And so that's 
a snippet of the work in essence. It's really about rooting the positive resource in our lines. And it's something that anyone can do. I suggest support or reading about it or session support or learning more, particularly if you have a lot of trouble in the field, kind of getting help setting boundaries with that trouble and, and anchoring with the well ones. Um, and it's work that really deeply excites me. And it happens, I do the work with Jewish folks, and I do the work with folks from many traditions beyond Judaism. It's not a Jewish-specific thing. And I'm a part of a, a, a growing cadre of folks from many different cultural and place backgrounds who also do this work together. It reminds me of a, a workshop here at the Wise Women's Center decades ago, and the leader of the workshop uh, invited us to go on a trans journey to find... Um, a healer in our lineage, anyone who had been lineage who had been a healer, and to, to ask her to guide us in our work. And so afterwards, we were encouraged to talk about what we had experienced, and um, several women did, and then one woman said, well, that's all well and good for you, but the only thing that I saw was a hairdresser. And the woman who's leading the workshop said, what do you mean? She said, well, I got this vision that this woman was just from house to house to women's hair. And the leader said, that's what the healers used to do. That's how they stayed in touch with the women in their communities. It's so amazing. I love yeah. that story so much. And we all just and went, what? and, you know, we realized, oh, you know, we have this, you know, we immediately had, she had, and we picked it up from her, this judgment, like, oh, this ancestor wasn't a healer. She just braided women's hair. And then to realize, yeah. uh, but, yes, that's I, healing. That's healing in and of itself, but more to the point, she was watching over their families because you don't mm. just in a community you're not you don't just see people when they're sick. Yes, I love this story so much, and it's so true. You don't just see people when you're sick, and when the maintenance happens, as as you I know teach, when the regular tending happens, that's that's the core healing practice, not in the states of greater urgency, but in the in the moment of just building the wellness and the resource again and again and again. And what I love also in this story is her surprise at how the healer showed up. So often in this work, people say to me, well, how do I know I'm not making it up? And people say that because, of course, we've been entrained to kind of disbelieve that we have access to knowing from where many of us have been disconnected from a sense of, of access that we all have every right to and every possibility to. And so people say, how do I know I'm not making it up? And one of the ways that I have a sense that I'm not making it up in the work is that often when I, when I reach out for connection and support, the way it shows up is so different than I might have imagined. Like when I first dropped in with my lines, the way the guys showed up is like nothing I could have ever come up with. The, the, the visions are just um, highly specific in, in different ways. And mostly it's, I feel like it's, it's less also about belief and more about just tracking impact, noticing how the connections um, nourish and move us in our lives. But what a great story about the, that workshop and the healer and the hairdresser. Yes to the braiding, braiding of this world. Your latest offering is one with the flow. Tell us about that. Mm, that's been so fun and so many years coming. I really awoke to spiritual practice by tending conscious menstruation. I was living in rural Brazil and one morning woke up bleeding and didn't have any 
quote unquote products. Like I didn't have any of what I had been trained to use. And I asked this question that, that many of you listening may have asked. It's like, what did my ancestors do when they were bleeding? How did they catch their blood? And so I bled onto the earth and onto my body and woke to the sacredness that is my body, my womb, and the moon. And for me, that was really the beginning of what's been a many decades long journey at this point. And, and this class, One With a Flow, is inviting folks into practice around conscious menstruation, into reclaiming blood as sacred, to honoring our bodies, to listening to the pace of our cycles, and to really letting the, the moon time, the menstrual time, the bleeding time be the fulcrum for the rest of our lives, to letting that moment be honored rather than shamed or denigrated. And so in this online course, we weave together in community around practices for tending and honoring our blood. I'm one of many folks who teach this work in amazing ways. And in particular, I'm, I'm doing it these days in Jewish community, weaving in teachings on the sacredness of menstruation in the Jewish context, which I do believe and sense was there again in ancient times. And then so many layers of the patriarchy um, anchored in the idea of, of bleeding as shame and, and there's a thing I'll say, which is the word in Hebrew, tum'ah, which is often translated, almost always translated as impurity. Um, it's used to describe the menstrual, menstruating women and postpartum women and folks who've been near dead bodies, that we in Kohenet and the Hebrew priestess community understand tum'ah not as impure, but as liminal. When we look at the common threads between those who are called tum'ah, it is really the moment where we're in between the worlds, where we're less focused on the daily and more kind of in body temple consciousness, where we're attuned to the beyond. And so we're in, in this work looking at ways that we can reclaim what has been taught as something to fear and really reclaim the power in it. It's fascinating to me that Two hours ago, we started this show by talking about white buffalo calf women. Mm, and, yes. about, and about the reclaiming of um, menstruation as a time of visionary power and, and that women um, were not sent away, but that women went away. Yes. That women yes, see- the seclusion was by choice to honor our yeah. energy bodies, like understanding that this is a time when we receive visions for the tribe when we have access to prophecy when we need to tend ourselves so we can be well for the rest of the moments yes to yes to the deep distinction between being sent away and choosing seclusion or kind of group seclusion um, for the purpose of sacred practice and from what I see this reclaiming of menstruation as a sacred practice among Jewish women was almost like the opening note in this reclaiming because I know that's been going on for 25 years because there's some yes. there's some rather severe practices that are suggested which if you dig down into them actually flower amazingly. It's so true. There's it's really about looking at the places that have become kind of the most painful and difficult and finding that often these practices started with great reverence for the sacred power. And then the, the fear kicked in, the fear of the body of women of goddess kicked in and the interpretations got entirely changed and people got disconnected from the roots and the source of it. And again, it, it feels like 
such an immense blessing to be alive in a place and a time. And as you said, it's been a time now for 25, 30 more. Like I'm, the work I'm doing is very clearly possible because of the work of many of my foremothers and the folks who've, who've done this unearthing before me. And I'm so grateful for them. And also so moved by the way that the folks I work with coming up are taking this work far further than I have. And just, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty in awe by what's possible here. And um, yeah, so I'm delighted to hear that y'all started talking about menstruation as, as prophetic. And that's also where we're coming full circle. Now we are coming full circle. And I know that you would like to close our time together here with a song or a chant. Rebecca, how much time do we have? We have about four minutes. Okay. Great. So it's a song or a chant of about three minutes and leave me the very last minute. That would work out perfectly. I'm happy to. The song that I'd love to close with is an adaptation of the priestly blessing. We call it the priestess blessing. It's a simple song. Y'all can sing along, all of you listening. It goes like this. May she bless you and may she keep you. Try that with me. May she bless you and may she keep you. And as she shines her face, may you embody grace as she shines her face may you embody grace may she bless you and may she keep you and as she shines her face may you embody grace may she bless you and may she keep you, and as she shines her face, may you embody grace. Oh. With such great gratitude for these bodies, this breath, this aliveness, and this opportunity to come together in this way. And I want to express my great gratitude to you, Susan, for the work that you do. Your books were some of my first texts on how to deeply know how to honor the sacred in the body and the earth. And it's just such a great blessing to be here with you and all of your listeners. And thank you, Taya, for how you are manifesting it and planting seeds and tending flowers, going with the flow, creating schools, nurturing and mentoring the those who are just awakening into this. I talk about this uh, with the metaphor of weaving the healing cloak of the ancients, and so I thank you for the reweaving mm. work that you are doing as we reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. And hey, Rebecca, thanks for being with me as we restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine of the people, by the people, for the people. It's the medicine right outside your door. Taya, thank you. Rebecca, thank you. Justine, thank you. And listeners, thank you. Green blessings to everybody, and good night. Thank you. Good night, everyone.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.